Welcome to Decades From Home, a podcast about the weird and wonderful side of living in Germany. And all without saying, O oh Lord, thou knowest how busy I must be this day. If I forget thee, do not thou forget me. I'm Nick Houghton of 40percentgerman.com and I'm joined by my co-host Simon, jealous of the Greggs, Maddox. How are you, Simon? I'm doing all right. I'm I'm moved to the edge of Christianity by that moving poem. <laughs> I'm a believer again. Oh, don't worry. I'm going to explain the rather earnest opening of the podcast. I'll also probably have to explain why I sound like I've been running my vocal cords through a cheese grater. Mm-hmm. They're all actually the same explanation. I had a very long weekend, but we'll go into detail about that, as I said, a bit later on. But yeah, also those of you who may have enjoyed the slightly... DIY audio quality of my mic last week as I hid in the cupboard of my Airbnb apartment will enjoy the fact that I'm now in the safe environs of my niece and nephew's bunk beds and I'm covered like all the covers and covered it over is and I'm just hidden away in a new like podcast I don't know DIY outfit it's pretty good though right time it's pretty provocative it's very much the summer camp edition of the podcast <laughs> i'm gonna have s'mores later <laughs> i don't even know what a s'more is so if any listeners are interested in getting a special ringtone made with nick's sultry new voice oh yeah um message us tonight because uh, it is going to be it's going to be gone soon this is a temporary offer uh, very reasonably priced uh, private messages so reach out to us i'll say anything <laughs> i promise yeah it's quite interesting though that the problem i found is in an environment like this it's fine because there's only two people speaking and there's no background noise but when i went to order a sandwich earlier the resonant sound in the background was at the same sort of frequency or whatever as my voice so basically mm-hmm. when i talked it was just like me moving my mouth and the person was just looking at me like i was insane and i was like <laughs> no i am saying something what no i am saying Oh, and it's like, I was scared I wouldn't get a sandwich, but luckily, luckily I did. Ordering sandwiches, like, that doesn't happen here. No, not really. You, you've already changed. They even took a photograph of the menu. I was so impressed with how many options there were. You would have lost your mind, mate. There was like, must have been over a hundred different options you could have. What I had mm. was the Kenyan kamikaze, I think it was. Kenyan kamikaze? Yeah, yeah. It was like some different kinds of sliced meats and it had chicken and it also had red jalapenos okay and it was on a white poppy seed cob so cob Mm. it was of a high quality such a high quality that i ate it within mere seconds so yeah it's delightful i'm salivating i'm not gonna lie (laughs) Uh, and what i i had a sort of homemade cheese tortilla Mm -hmm. today because uh, we had falafel last night for dinner and there was one one tortilla left and mm. I just like rammed it full of cheese and spring onion. I was like, I'll put that in the oven tomorrow. Oh, um, yeah. It worked out beautifully, but it's not a Kenyan kamikaze <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. I don't know. I would have cut mine in half and shared if you'd cut yours in half and I'd given you half of mine because yours sounds pretty good. Yeah, that's, that's love, ladies and gentlemen, right there. It's the only way to do it. People don't realise how deep this runs between <laughs> Nick and I. We would split sandwiches. You know, this is the third time in two days i've had conversations about what sharing food means to me because <laughs> i i hate sharing food it's one of the my biggest bugbears when my wife and i go to a restaurant and i order mm-hmm. what i want to order and my wife is renowned as being terrible at ordering food she always orders the wrong thing she goes oh, you can just give us a bit of yours i'm like no i have <laughs> thought about my choices and this is the choice i'm i've made but someone else was saying that it was unfair that their boyfriend wouldn't share food and they were having like a semi-serious argument about it. And they both turned to me and went, Nick, what do you think about it? And I was like, I wouldn't share food either. And the boyfriend was just like, yes, yes. And I was like, I should have got myself <laughs> in the middle of it. But I do feel that I have to make a stand on that point of principle. Obviously, we, we've spoken before about how it was growing up for you with food in the house that you were obviously mm. the youngest and you had to be quick otherwise food would just kind of disappear Mm -hmm. from the table so i understand for you there is sort of a sense of protectionism i'm an adult now and this is my plate and everyone else can get to fuck um and i definitely empathize with that position whereas i think for me like because i went to like boarding school and had like baked beans on like three Mm -hmm. meals a day for years and years and years i'm fine with sharing because i just like that there's good options available instead of just having the same shit mm-hmm. every single day but there is there are lines in the sand of course like if 
my wife would be like, I definitely don't want any chips. And then like started nicking chips off my plate without asking. She wouldn't do that, but that would be not an issue. But I'd be like, what are you doing? Well, you know how like all people are hypocrites. This is where I'm a massive hypocrite. <laughs> right? All people, yeah, because we're all you. Everyone's inconsistent, right? Everyone says, "Oh, we're mm-hmm. gonna do this," but actually, like, it's the truth that we're all just hypocritical, really, and it's fine. That's just the human condition, right? But my daughter's pommers every time she orders pommers, like ritually, it's the thing that she mm-hmm. always wants. And like, she's very small, and the piles of pommers she gets are very big. Mm-hmm. And what I've come to realize is, my wife likes to have the pommers. She doesn't want to order it, but she does want to eat them. And she gets really Mm -hmm. angry at me as if I'm some sort of devious scavenger, which I am, but Mm -hmm. I'm not as devious as I'm being made out to be in this instance. (laughs) Um, And so, like, yeah, so I do break my own rules. So, internet, you can flame me if you like, but I'll stand by my point. Don't come asking me for food off my plate because it's it's not going to happen. But how how, how would you be if, say, we're in the pub and I say, oh, do you want to get like a basket of like fried stuff to share? Actually, we went out yesterday for amazing, it's amazing curry and they had a chef's menu where they just brought out loads of different Mm. like dishes. And in that scenario, we've all agreed ahead of time that this is the situation. And my sister was late. And so because she was late, she didn't get an order. And then she appeared and she was like, oh, is there any leftovers? And we're just like, no, <laughs> there's no leftovers for you. We're not even, she's not saving me something. No, because we'd agreed ahead of time, the three of us were ordering this thing and you were late. But yeah, it was quite funny. I think it's fine. Yeah. It depends like what we're ordering. Is it like, that was a place that, like did chicken wings or something in Nuremberg. Mm-hmm. And, and I just thought that was something I don't, I wouldn't want to share chicken wings with someone. It feels a little bit too... It's quite an activity eating a chicken wing, isn't it? <laughs> I guess it, it matters if you're having to like share the same like little finger bowl to like wash off the chicken finger juice. Uh, if you're like dipping your fingers into the same lemon ringed hot water, that's that is quite an intimate act. Yeah. Before the pandemic, I probably wouldn't have cared that much, but now, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm not a fan of that at all. That idea is really not making me happy <laughs> i probably wouldn't want to share the finger dip and thing but even like and it's saucy as well and then there's like there's a lot of mouth movement pulling chicken off of, <laughs> i just feels really icky do you not think i mean it's, it's it's quite a sensual thing to eat that's true like there is like sucking and slurping and nibbling i eat my chicken wings <laughs> sensually mm. it's better with this voice right it that's is one of the lines we can do yeah I'm a sensual chicken wing. <laughs> but yeah, that's a bit of an issue. But like, I could honestly, I could spend the entire show just talking about this curry. You'd have loved it, man. Yeah, I'm, I know. And I don't want to talk about it because it's going to make me sad. Because Can I tell you about bits of it, though, that you would have loved? You lo- can tell me about bits of it. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to look at you whilst we're, whilst we're doing this because it's just going to make me sad. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to, the place is called the Dabawal, right? Which is mm-hmm. a Bombay street food place. Okay. Like the staff are amazing. Everyone's great. The food's amazing. But they have like just stuff that, that breaks your brain when you think about the Indian food you have in a lot of Indian restaurants in Britain. Mm-hmm. They had like a, a Bombay mix kind of thing that was like fresh though. Okay. It had like leaves, like um, coriander in, in it and stuff in it. And it was amazing. Uh-huh. It was one of those things where everything you ate was just like, ah, oh, that was amazing. That's fish dishes and lamb dishes. And I can see you salivating. Mm-hmm. I'm already salivating, but it was just amazing. Really, really good food. And I'm still haven't quite recovered from that experience. Yeah, I mean, we've spoken multiple times about how much of a key part of like British culture Indian food is. And to get good Indian food is, is really, really challenging here in Germany. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for you that you had such a, an amazing, delightful, balls-to-the-wall Indian dinner. But yeah, it still it breaks my heart that <laughs> I couldn't eat it as well. Oh, no, I was good. You couldn't be there. No. It's got to be a chance at some point where we'll both be in Britain at the same time. It yeah. has to happen eventually. But it's one of those things where you're like, this is really nice to do as a one sort of one-off. But mm-hmm. you sort of there's always things you're going to miss and you want to do all the time. But like... A good curry doesn't replace some of the other things that I've sort of seen in the UK over the last few few days. Tell you what I've enjoyed, because I did a lot of traveling, service mm-hmm. station, bathrooms, like that's an experience that you're not prepared for when you think about in Germany, you pay, you usually pay what, like so you pay a euro and you get 70 cents back or 
or 80 cents. No, back. you pay 70 cents. You pay 70 cents, I couldn't remember. But you get you get it back as a voucher, right? Yeah. But you can use that in inside the service station. Mm-hmm. The toilets in Britain and service stations are free. So yeah. how good do you reckon the toilets are in Britain there, Simon? Well, I mean, it's been a while since I've used <laughs> rest stop in the UK, but they were always good. Like, it depends on services, but like Oxford is a really good one. Leicester is a, is a nice one. We drove to... Compton Fernie, which is in, around uh, Warwick and Coventry sort of area from, from Newcastle. That's a big chunk of the country. And the service station's down, mm. I think it was the A1. Was it A1? I, can't, I don't understand British roads. They make no sense to me. I was just sitting there terrified in a car driving down to British roads. just going like, none of this makes sense. Why is this, why is this roundabout <laughs> so big? What is happening here? How does anyone understand how to do anything? Why is it written on the road? Of course, you didn't learn to drive in England. So yeah, it's, it's truly foreign it's to probably, you. That's probably probably foreign. And there's all these like <laughs> remarkings on the road. And I'm like, what does that mean? What the hell is that? Why don't they just have a sign? <laughs> Jesus. But all the way down, they have these service stations. And what seems to have happened is the service stations have now been subcontracted to some kind of management group who then subcontract the outlets. But instead of being independent, it's like Greg's, Costa Coffee, Burger King, mm. W.H. Smith's, Marks and Spencer's. So you drive down, and that means basically you can get a Greg's in every, which is wicked, right? It's a concept, mm-hmm. right? You can get a Greg's or you can get a Burger King. But actually, it's there's no, no one's in charge, really, because this is this invisible management mm-hmm. company who are responsible for the facilities. And like... It was properly just just minging, just really. I'm not going to describe it, but it just wasn't a nice experience. Or like you went in the toilets and the doors locks were broken and stuff like that, or whatever. And it's sort mm. of just like, oh. so everything's just a little bit chatty. And I said to my brother, and he was like, ah, why don't you just go back to Germany then? Like just taking the taking the piss out. Of us. <laughs> and that's probably was being a bit too righteous for my own good. <laughs> At the same time, the consensus was, ah, oh, well, you're not going to change it, so we'll just leave it like that. That's kind of like it's mm. a bit of a cop out, really. Germans would just complain oh, their tits off about it. They were to be so angry if the toilets were as bad as they were in Britain. British people are just showing the mental scars of, of the situation they find themselves in. Huh? Like everything is just is gradually, slowly but surely gotten worse and to the point that everything isn't good enough. But where do you start? Like even if they can't get a lock on a toilet door, yeah. it's what, a two pound fix to get a lock on a door bolt yeah. by for these service stations? It's not complex. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's it's just indicative of the whole sorry state of affairs. Of course, it's right to complain about this because that isn't okay. But the only question I have is how much is a bottle of Coke at one of these service stations? Though? Oh, I didn't buy any Coke, but I bought like coffee. And it's probably like 75 pence more expensive than if you bought it anywhere else. It kind of felt like there was a markup like in most places. The last service station I went to, I had my Gooch shine, uh-huh. my voucher from having had a piss. Uh-huh. And I was like, I'm going to buy a bottle of Coke. Mm-hmm. And it was four euros. That's a piss take. Like for a small That's a piss 330 take. mil. And yeah, I'm not paying four euros. That's it. The service station toilets are clean and that's like good. But the service stations are the most depressing places. Like oh, the German ones that I've been just like... The best ones in the world are the ones in Italy. Like they're like mm-hmm. like going into an Italian supermarket. It's amazing. <laughs> and you just like go get fresh like prosciutto or something from a, a mezcari and you're like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And like it's it's amazing. But the German ones are just a bit soulless. But the British ones are soulless just in a different way, I guess. There is one that's quite nice on the way to Austria from here. I don't know where it is, which motorway it's on, but it looks from the outside as if like Gaudi's like silly brother imagined it like it's got like towers <laughs> and it's Gaudi-esque but it's definitely not good Gaudi is it not um Hundredwasser um bu- 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 I've got the no it's not um but it came up with that search so I put in Hundredwasser Restation and that's given me it's Rastete Illetal Ost oh wow uh which is direction north on the Autobahn Nummer 7 yeah, it's it's a weird looking thing. It, it's like Gaudi meets the Smurfs, uh, if you can imagine such a thing. I'm just having a, a quick, a quick. Wow, yeah. Oh, it's like <laughs> stripy and that, isn't it? That's wild. It's everything. It's everything to all men. Auto grill. Yeah. I mean, that looks more fun. The problem is, it has to be fun on the inside too. The design is quite interesting on the inside. It isn't a standard rest stop at all, but it does have the same shops. There's still like. 
uh, a souvenir shop mm -hmm. selling like trucks with your name on it mm -hmm. or that German fold-out ruler with everyone's name on it. Those are there. I love those rulers, man. Uh, and the toilets are also quite tucked away, which means you do get to experience quite a lot of the building. Yeah, I, I would recommend it if you're ever on oh, yeah. <laughs> Bundesautobahn number 7, heading north. <laughs> I'd definitely go and look at it. I'd go out of my way to look at it. I love a bit of like weird rest station sort of mm. rest station. I haven't been speaking a lot of German recently, so when you said station, it really gave me like a, like a, a ooh in my tummy when I heard it. <laughs> um, I, I, I spoke a bit of German over the weekend. Uh, I might as well talk about the weekend, right? Should we just talk about it? Yeah. So I can't remember which episode it was. I think it was one of the 70s episodes. A good, good couple of months ago, we released uh, some of our unheard conversations as an episode. Mm -hmm. And in one of those conversations, I talked about my hobby of reenacting English Civil War battles with the uh, Sealed Knot Reenactment Society. And this past weekend, I did that very thing and drove down to a place called Compton Verney and reenacted the Battle of Edge Hill, 1642, first battle of the English Civil War. And I think I'm beginning to bore everyone to tears in my family by telling them how <laughs> amazing it was. And maybe I sound a little bit like some kind of evangelical Christian, but it's hard <laughs> not to because there's only a couple of stipulations I had before I went, which were there needs to be decent weather, it needs to be good sort of battlefield. Uh, and I really wanted there to be a nice view because it's always good when you go to a battle and you're maybe camped on a place where of particular natural beauty or you're in the countryside or you're staying next to a stately home or a castle that you, mm -hmm. you can go get a cup of coffee of a morning and usually you get up quite early because you're sleeping in a tent so it'll be like eight, eight o'clock, half eight and go sit quietly under a tree or something and taking a nice view that most people don't get a chance to see and that's exactly what I got. On Saturday morning I sat and drank my coffee and watched two swans synchronised flying and then landing on a, on a beautiful lake as the sun glistened off the water it was ridiculous. I thought I was like what is this um, what is happening to me um, had emotions. <laughs> it's beautiful but like and then I fought two really serious battles um which were amazing, and I don't know where to start. I feel like you need to ask us questions because I, I feel like there's so many things happened over the last five days. Edge Hill, you said, is the first battle of the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, so what year was that? 1642. Okay, so you drinking your coffee was historically inaccurate then, yeah? Oh, right, yeah, so that is a good point. They're worth pointing out. 1650 was the first coffee house, uh, according to Samuel Pete. So it was before there was any public on the site, so you can get away with murder if there's no public. Um, <laughs> the, the rule you can, the, there's murder at the sea or not. Like, you guys are taking this too seriously. <laughs> okay, maybe let's not take everything literally. Um, <laughs> the, uh, um, so the site, the campsite itself, we have it divided into living history and what they call plastic, which is just like a normal campsite. And and in the normal campsite, mm -hmm. you can wear what you want, really, and you can wear a mixed kit and you can just hang out and be just happy. But as soon as you're off-site and all on living history, all this public around, you have to be correctly attired, which means mm -hmm. you've got to have hats on, you've got to have jacks on, you've got to look proper. And at that point, there was no public around. And I looked pretty on point, except I didn't have a hat. And by, I guess, 17th century standards, I would have been undressed because I didn't have a jacket on. But I did have okay. a doublet, or was a singlet really, more like a waistcoaty type thing. You can get away with that until a certain point in the day, and then you have to get pretty okay. serious. And talking pretty serious, obviously battles in the Civil War were no fun. No, um, not, not but usually, no. For our German crew, who probably don't know a huge amount about the English Civil War, what was it about? Like, what What is the Civil War? Uh, for German listeners, they'll know like um, Wallenstein Fests. I'm sure certainly that people in the South will know. Maybe people have heard mm -hmm. the name Gustavus Adolphus and stuff like that. And this was the Thirty Years' War that was occurring in a similar sort of period. Well, essentially what happens in Britain is you have a breakdown of relations between the King and Parliament over who has the right to rule, essentially, and does the King have the right to rule independent of Parliament? And Charles and his father have, and, and as his children sort of do as well, this this perception of 
the king is is ordained by God. God mm-hmm. wills that King Charles I, who was the king of England at the time, was the king. And who are these politicians to tell me what to do? Like I can raise as much tax as I want. But also at the same time, you have a territorial and religious conflict that's tearing the European continent apart. And then you have this question of the fear that the King of England is bringing Catholicism or allowing Catholicism to to fester or survive in Britain. And, and he introduces prayer books that really upset people, especially the Scots. Mm-hmm. You have the Presbyterians in Scotland who are quite clear on the ordered and organized church governance. And you have um, the, the growing concept of, of independence, people who don't conform to the Anglican church. Uh, you've mm-hmm. got people like Oliver Cromwell who are quite hardcore Puritans. Uh, and there's an, even within them, there's segments. You've got the Puritans who are really hardcore, or people like Oliver Cromwell, who's quite a pragmatic Puritan, uh, certainly in the early stages. And uh, so you have all these tensions of governance and religion just combined together. Because the question kind of is like, who who gets to decide who's in the church and who's the godly? Um, mm-hmm. And all this goes on until uh, essentially the king tries to arrest the troublemakers in parliament. And then that's a total breakdown of relations. And eventually the king goes and raises his standard. Uh, he goes out, he leaves London and raises his standard. I think it's in Nottingham he raises it. Standard as in flag, as in banner, as opposed to... <laughs> Standards. Yeah, he wasn't raising standards. He wasn't going around with his clipboard going, <laughs> you know what, your health and safety needs to be improved. Has to be here. better. Oh, jeez, I can't believe you haven't cleaned that. The royal standard was raised, which means he was calling all his supporters to his banner so they could fight. And so Parliament mm-hmm. then reacts. And then you, you have this assembling of, of armies. And as it's pointed out in the commentary of the battle that, that, um, that I was listening to as I was standing around waiting to have a fight, for a lot of people, it was the first time they'd ever seen that many people on a battlefield. Like, not okay. on a battlefield, just in, in in life, they'd never seen that many people. Mm-hmm. Like, like, you've got thousands of people coming together. You've got all these different regiments just forming. Most of them have never fought. And um, they were saying that often they'd give them little rhymes to teach them how to, how to march properly. And they were all sort of trying to... Then there was no professional armies, so they weren't turning up with, mm-hmm. we're Parliament, so we're going to wear this colour, and you are royalists, so you're going to wear this colour. Just turned up in whatever the local person who raised the regiment chose. So my regiment, the Newcastle's white coats, wear white coats. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're white is because they couldn't afford the dye to dye them. I think he wanted to dye them red or something. And so he said, like, the, the, the white coats will dye the coats in the blood of their enemies. And that's sort of like a hardy kind of idea. But all the regiments just had random colors, blues. And you see it on the field, it's like red. I can never tell which regiments I'm fighting. Because you're just like okay. totally wild, and so they all just came on this battlefield and essentially just fought like a draw. It started on time; it was quite gentlemanly the battle, and there was still kind of like the idea was always with all wars it'll be over by Christmas, mm-hmm. and so that's what they were saying. And so they were like, "Oh, we'll have one battle, and then that'll decide it." And obviously, it didn't. And then it, after that, it just got worse. But that's where we were at Edgehill. So, with the reenactment with the seal, not how many people reenacted this battle of Edgehill this year i didn't get an exact number but i would be unsurprised to learn it was in the 2000s and some things okay there was a lot of people we had a lot of cannons a lot of musket a lot of horse Mm -hmm. um and obviously the musket aren't shouting bang although the people who don't have shotgun licenses and haven't been trained to use a musket and passed all the required tests will be standing with a musket that, where they have to shout bang because it's just a piece of wood essentially but the majority oh. of the people on the field with muskets are carrying uh, authentic matchlock or in case some cases flintlock muskets and so they just fire empty barrel but they they charge them as as per normal well you it's it's you load it from the from the front it's a ball loader mm-hmm. is that what i mean i can't remember what it is but um yeah. you have to load it from the front with a with a ramrod and so the, do, the only mm-hmm. thing that's missing from the process is the ball okay so it's you're packing you've got a match sitting over a pan of gunpowder and that's your firing mechanism then you put gunpowder in the end mm-hmm. so everyone's carrying yeah they're carrying gunpowder powder and, and stuff and so okay. and so you have to be careful there was a couple of times we were fighting and i'd come out of a pike push and then just be like the musket regiment it's always scary because you're just like they're not about to fire and obviously they're not because really everyone's really safe and aware and there's a lot of controls in place because mm-hmm. it's more like an extreme sport often you're very rarely ever in danger of something like that happening but still it's quite scary like falling out and then looking mm. up and going holy crap there's those people with like guns pointed at me yeah it's it's quite it's quite a wild experience that aspect of it 
And with the regiments, with the groups, like with the Musketeers and and the Newcastle Newcastle White shirts, white coats, white shirts, white makes, coats. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> makes them sound like a secret battalion of, the, like, of, yeah, of yeah. the National Socialists, <laughs> <laughs> led by Oswald. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, is there like is there an element of class? Obviously, class is everything in the UK. And it guides everything. So do you have like upper class people riding horses and being commanders and it's like more like working class people being pikemen like yourself? Oh. Or is it is there any kind of standard at all? That's such a fucking great question. Like no, actually. So one of my like best friends, she's a cavalry officer and she's from Rotherham and she's I mean She's middle class and that, but she's proper Yorkshire. Uh-huh. Whereas one of the, my favourite people in the world is a pikeman who, he's in his late 60s, and he, he used to work for the, in Whitehall, quite high up. I think oh, he's really? got some okay. kind of gong from the Queen, an MBE mm-hmm. or something like that, maybe. Okay. He's got some kind of letters after his name, and he is the poshest man. When he talks about his private life, like, sounds amazing, but it's just, like, so not what I would like sort of expect or anything like that. It's really, mm-hmm. really RP pronunciation. I think he went to Oxford. He definitely has a boater in one of those jackets they, they have when they're like punting okay. down the river and all that stuff. I fought with him in so many different battles and there's one particular battle where he's on the front and he, he decked a bloke because he was, this guy was trying to cause people injuries. He just punched him in the face and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. He's hard as nails. You just wouldn't expect it. You'd expect him to be like this quite prim and proper gentleman. And in the pipe block, uh-huh. he's just like one of the lads is pure nuts. So it doesn't really matter whether you're a, a tough or not. Like it's kind mm-hmm. of everyone's pretty much equal, which is quite nice. The thing that unites us is we're all insane extroverts. So like that's just, everyone's really <laughs> extroverted. So you have like, you'd be walking down through the campsite. Like it happened to me, there was someone walking behind us and he said something funny and I commented on it. And then you have like this like funny little conversation as you're walking back to your tent with people mm-hmm. you've never met before and it's really pleasant and just nice. You could walk up to anyone and just go, oh, like, why have you got those shoes? And people would just go, oh, I got these. And they'll tell you anything about it. So it's a really strange environment if you've never experienced it where everyone's just quite, like, there's some history bores and stuff. That was going to be the, my, my guess of what unites everyone mm-hmm. is that there is a severe love of history. Or are there just some people who just like, this is a ruck. I like the weapons. I don't give a shit about mm. the history element. Um, One of my friends said uh, the weekend that it's it's a rugby scrum with sticks. Uh-huh. It was the pike block, and that's what he liked about it. Some people like the team sport element of being in the pike block or the intricate sort of detail of, of the musket block, but also there's like a fighting element there too. If you like to wave a sword, you can be a musketeer, you know. So there's people who love the fighting element, and I certainly love that. But there's other people mm-hmm. who like the social element. I think eventually you you sort of just learn by osmosis, so you just learn stuff. There's people who don't seem that interested in history you could tell you loads about how sort of tailors would make 17th century costume because they've made mm-hmm. all their own kit okay. or something like that. But then, I mean, there is, it's like, there's loads of people who know loads about history, so you have lots of people who sound a bit like, oh, well... Oh, let me tell you about it. Like all of us can be like that at some point because all of us have a lot of knowledge about this, the, the period. So it's just like, it's just different. And often you know a lot about your own regiment. So you go around mm-hmm. different regiments meeting people and they'll tell you stories about their regiments. Not only the stories of the history of their regiment at the time, but also some of these regiments have been going since the 70s, you know? So there's people there who've been mm-hmm. in the society for 50 years. You know, it's the 50th anniversary coming up. It might have been during the pandemic, but so there's people who've been doing it for 50 years and there's just mad like stories about people who just used to do crazy stuff. So like Mm -hmm. it's just a wide variety of people for sure. Yeah, it's a very interesting part of culture that a lot of people have zero understanding or connection to. Like it's just... It's such a high though, If I drove past the field and saw it, I'd be like, what are those weirdos doing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Well, you were saying LARP before, weren't you? You were talking about LARPing, weren't you? No, I said cosplay. Cosplay, I I think LARPing has the has the sort of the science fiction the fantasy mm. element like what you guys are doing is is based sort of rigidly on 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 the history mm. 
you can't just turn up and like have a 12 foot sword and be like i'm winning this year <laughs> the best thing i could liken it to is it's like a living museum for mm-hmm. the people going to see it and it can be a little bit there's a little bit to like waiting around and it can't be a bit slow and then suddenly there's like a battle that's how kind of all the battles work they were sort of went in stages but the sort of draw of it is the, the sort of people, like, it really is a, a, very much about the people who go. And what I thought this weekend a lot was, like, oh, this is totally just, it's foreign culture, isn't it? It's like mm-hmm. the sports club or the history clubs and stuff like that you have. But even, I think, the Valenstein Fest is run by a foreign. You have carnival foreigns. And it's the same sort of thing. It's people there that I've known for 30 years who've known me since a kid. But there's also yeah. people there who had two lads who came along who were powerlifters. tell you, that was useful in a pike block, having powerlifters. Oh, I imagine. When your main aim is pushing a body of men through, like, <laughs> through each other, essentially, having people with massive arms is useful. And they were just, they didn't know anything about the history, but they just loved it. They loved the camaraderie. And because you have within mm-hmm. the pike block, especially, and the musket blocks, they're working together a lot. I think the pike is way more physical um mm-hmm. obviously physical i think the musketeers have a lot of work to do firing ensuring safety making sure everything sort of works and they're performing the right very particular orders and and doing them right as well as doing all the safety stuff whereas the pikeman it is just rugby it's pure rugby mm-hmm. and uh we had plus 25 in the block and it was just glorious plus 25 in the block what does that mean plus 25 at one point in the block oh 25 people were in yeah this yeah we were one of the biggest blocks scrum. in the field okay people were lining up to fight okay. us and we were just they were just like <laughs> smashing people and then reforming on the color really quickly and we do like four in a row and they would just be hitting these blocks and just, just smashing them to pieces. And then they would be like, they were, they were like big smiles in the faces going, this is great, love this. And like they came and complimented one of our officers about how they love fighting Newcastles because they always know they're going to get a good fight out of us and that it's like, it'll just be a good laugh. And everyone's just really happy and just enjoying it. I think that's a pandemic effect as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, everyone's working together because you have to, you're in three by, I guess it's three by six or five sort of block of people, three at the front, and then everyone's packed in behind and you're pushing towards the centre. It's a very focused, clear goal. And you're just hitting a similar size block and trying to push them backwards. And then you've got like, sometimes pushing left and right to balance it so you don't twist the block and it's all a momentum and it's like tug of war, but it's lots of other things. And it's so physical and I came off the field and my breeches were soaking wet, my shirt was soaking wet. I I stayed in my armor for a good hour while I stood in the beer tent having a couple of pints straight after. Because I was like, if I take my armor off, it's just going to be, that's the end. Because my shirt was soaking wet. I could feel the thick wool coat. I could feel the sweat mm. through it because um, it was quite a hot day. So it's like real serious like work. And I was, I, th- I had my armor on too tight on the second day. I was basically just permanently winded. I totally threw up partway through. Like I had a <laughs> coffee morning coffee just came back up because I just had been hit so many times. All I was thinking was just finish this and get back in the block because you just become so tunnel vision. And that's why it's great because you're just so like focused mm-hmm. on this one thing that you like, there's nothing else at all. The smoke, the horses, cannons going off, just chaos everywhere. And then, but all you're thinking is my job is to push this man in front of me through that regiment in front of us. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes very, you get to very zen at points. Take a moment, you step back, you go, fuck me. And you look around and you see battle, like people fighting everywhere and the same things happening. And got some good footage I'll show you of the pike push you get a sense of what happens the momentum of it it's a crazy experience that I, I was like part of me is just like why wouldn't you want to see that just once in your life to be like whoa this is what it's like to be in the middle of a battle because <laughs> it feels like you're very much mm-hmm. in the middle of a battle and then you come out of it and then you go to a beer tent and drink two pints of Amstel and smoke way too many cigarettes. This was going to be my next question, like what beer do they sell and it's Amstel uh, they had like IPAs and stuff like that they had loads of like like sort of that kind of, like the, some of the ciders were amazing, that like cherry cider and uh, watermelon mm-hmm. ciders and stuff like that. So good range. Watermelon but, but, cider. But it's like a bit like real ale crew. So uh-huh. it's like some complex porters and stuff like that. And I'm like, <laughs> and, and like I don't, last thing I want to do after I'm sweating my tits off on a battlefield, working my ass off, is have a pint of like, 
chocolate brownie porter or some crap. And it's like, oh, God, you might as well give me a milkshake. And just be like, just be like Anchorman, where he's like, the milk was a bad idea. <laughs> um, so I had uh, the Amstel was like, that worked. It was the only sort of quality lagery type thing on. So I was quite happy that at least I had that. Mm. But I would have preferred Hellas. Here's something I did find out. I took loads of beer with us, obviously, because I'm not a crazy person. And we want to spend all his money in a beer tent. Mm-hmm. But here's a tip. All these German lagers are amazing. It's amazing. Yeah. One okay. of the best things I've tried. And I was like, for the price it is, it's a quality. If you were going away camping and you just wanted to buy some beers and you didn't have any refrigerator, it's exactly the kind of beer you want. Because it's just like, this is really mm-hmm. good, warm or cold, it's fine. But actually loads of people had those battery powered refrigerators. So people walking around with like blocks <laughs> of ice and shit. Do you know when I first started, you didn't have any of that shit. Yeah. Someone had an inflatable tent like someone like had like a like almost a f- like a full glamping experience. I was just like, "What is this?" I just had my shitty two man tent with my little lilo and my crappy sort of uh, sleeping bag. I mean, even that sounds luxury compared to what the people back in the day would have been sleeping. Oh uh, yeah, we're shitting on them, like definitely. <laughs> but um, may they rest yeah. in peace. <laughs> may they rest in peace. Those poor buggers. And there's people who do have done that. I think there's people who do camp in the living history who want to sleep on like some straw or something Mm -hmm. more power to them living history is good though because it's probably like a living museum um where you can walk around people cooking things and doing stuff it's great Mm. well listen if you're thinking i want more of that dm nick yeah yeah if you're like (laughs) interested in joining the seal not let us know dm us uh there's going to be some pretty good battles next year Uh, there's loads of stuff going on this year so if you're curious you can just go to uh, i think it's at sealed knot on twitter you can find them or just go to the google sealed knot and you'll find out loads Mm -hmm. of information i'm going to be posting some stuff out about it anyway because i've got super pictures of me dressed as a as a pikeman in my mighty big 16 foot stick which uh isn't a euphemism that's definitely not overcompensating for anything i'm certainly not overcompensating that's effectively my yellow porsche um (laughs) so yeah and i'll be tweeting that out so just take a look um yeah cheers simon for letting me talk about that at length no worries So this is kind of turning into another England special with with Nick being on the island. And so I was looking around for material that we could throw in about these things. And obviously people talk about how Britain is is quite a weird little place in many ways. And we've both worked at universities here and German students will come back from a semester abroad and they will have a list of complaints uh, about how things are just bizarre in the UK. So the Telegraph, the Tory graph, not often we use them. (laughs) They put together, (laughs) boo, you bastards. (laughs) They put together a little list, a fun list, which is again isn't their lane normally, uh, of things that baffle visitors most about England. Uh, So we're going to cherry pick some of these confusing elements of Britain and British culture and see if we agree that they're weird, or maybe we should integrate them into our cultures here in Germany. Uh, so the first one is something Nick's actually already tweeted about. Carpets everywhere, especially in bathrooms. Oh, yeah. And this is something that I, I have no connection to. I've never had a bathroom with carpets, but apparently British people do. Nick, tell us about well, it. Well, no, I mean, not every British person. Like, there was a lot of people, I tweeted that out because it was just like, it was in my Airbnb and it made us laugh that there was a carpet in the bathroom. My grandparents had mm-hmm. a carpet in the bathroom. And there was a lot of people going, ah, new houses don't have carpets in them. And I'm like, yeah, but it is a common enough thing that people were like, I've seen it before. I've been to places where I've had it. I'm not sure if it's more northern than southern. I wouldn't expect Mm -hmm. like new houses to have it, but there's definitely times you could go to a hotel like and find that the bathroom's carpeted because somebody's clearly just insane. Who would want that? Well, I mean, there were some people that said, oh, my mum has this because she likes her feet to be warm when she gets out of the shower. Yeah. Um, Which, of course, there are things called shower mats that can be very, very soft and warm. I've got a lovely memory foam one that's a real treat to stand on when you're wet. (laughs) Um, But, of course, most people pointed out the fact that England's toilet culture when it comes to men there is no Sitzen Pinkler. Nope. Uh, I have transformed myself into pretty much a Sitzen Pinkler. I haven't stood up and, and peed in my house for years. It's a treat going to the pub and using a urinal. Uh, <laughs> it's a treat. It, it's like a holiday. It is. It's like, whoa, this is. I'm not going to sit down on the pub toilet. <laughs> but yeah, at home, I, I sit when I pee. It's a very normal thing in Germany. And you have companies that have invented things to make men sit mm-hmm. down like there's a toilet ghost 
and when you lift it up it motion detects the moving seat and it goes and then you put the seat back down so yeah it is a big thing to sit whilst you pee and of course it is cleaner and you only have to have a party at your home uh, where some of the lads come over and decide they want to piss on your stone floor bath mats get taken away when people are coming over that shows how much trust we have so yeah piss on the carpet that cannot be moved is certainly it's 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 an interesting take on this totally rank so yeah we feel you people who think that's weird it is really really weird Uh, the next one is the one that got complained about the most and it wasn't until somebody complained about it to me that I realised how insane it actually is. Because in the UK, you have a hot tap and a cold tap. <laughs> yeah, the old tap to bed. And you do not have the ability to mix yeah. them together to create one flow of lukewarm, warm, or like tepid water. The British people, we do the dance. You put your hand, put the soap, and then hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, hot, cold, finding that balance yourself. At speed. I was in a place the taps had like the press down function on them, but once you once you took your hand away from the pushing down on the top of the tap, it stopped. It stopped. So it's either <sighs> you had really cold water or really hot water, and there was no plug. It's just like this is insane. Like this is mm-hmm. just cheapness upon cheapness. There's no reason for this. It's always in like public toilets or in pub toilets or restaurant toilets. I was just totally just inane. I mean, I like it because it seems to really upset people. And actually, <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't really matter to me only in the instance of those particular taps. But other times, mm-hmm. I, I've never really had a problem. I've just washed my hand with cold water, usually. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not averse to a, a cold or a hand wash, but a hot one where it burns you, there are, there are dangers yeah, yeah, I suppose. to the hot and cold. But what this means is there is a niche little market for clever foreign students because they just take a two-litre bottle yeah, of something. Yeah, yeah cut holes for the taps and then one in the middle and then they have their own mixer tap and everyone comes around and be like, oh my God. Yeah, everyone's dead happy. You've got warm water. You're a hero. <laughs> uh, yeah. He can use that engineering degree to its entirety, you know? Like, that's that's not bad. Exactly. <laughs> the next one we have is, uh, it's a very small word. It's a very, very small sound as well. But, oof, it's got meaning. The British tut. Oh, yes. <sighs> ah, yes. Oh, very important so it is what do we use the tut for when do you tut Nick uh, usually I mean you can just tut because you're slightly exasperated about a certain situation but usually mm-hmm. we tut is like for like really serious like breaches of social etiquette like people just mm-hmm. tut and probably not really say anything no just sort of tut and expect that to be enough like if somebody cut into yeah. a queue or someone did something that was deemed sort of incorrect or maybe someone's too loud, I might turn to you and go, and like sort of... Yeah, uh, for, for as we aren't a video podcast, you won't have seen that Nick flicked his eyes up to the sky and that's another part of the, the communication of the tut. I understand what that means yeah. that like you're unimpressed with that person's behavior yeah and um, the eye roll in corporation does make it communicative yeah. i think that's very interesting well you can do the silent tuck can't you because you can just instead of go you could just like do the head up and the eye roll and everyone's yeah. like knows exactly what, you, what you're saying because the tut is it's a confrontational enough sound and if i'm tutted at i have every right to be like what i can acknowledge that i've been tutted but yeah it's not a, a thing in other cultures I tutted an old man yesterday. Yeah, yeah, what happened? Nothing. Didn't even look at me. Jumped the queue in front of three people. You should have said, hello. Yeah, that's what I needed. Hello. He was an old man. I felt bad for him. Like, if he'd been anyone younger, he, he would have had a, what? <laughs> <laughs> um, but then often if you challenge someone, I tutted at you and you said, what? And I'd be like, nothing. Yeah. <laughs> a second tut and a nothing. Oh, uh, yeah. Savage. It's like probably <laughs> just the most indirect communication possible. Yeah. <laughs> but I like it though. There's something I really like about it. It's sort of the best kind of passive aggressiveness. Mm-hmm. Like it, everyone else in the room knows and understands, and we're all united mm-hmm. in that tut. It is a communal activity. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it should be used more, I think, in German culture yeah, yeah. because the halo or the direct, like, let's discuss what has happened mm-hmm. here is exhausting. Mm-hmm. And it can be very, very hard for people to handle. Whereas you can be a sort of timid person, an introvert, and you can bust out a tut. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, you can even be like, it wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, I, wasn't I'm not the one that tutted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I mean, obviously, as a foreigner in the UK, you're an easy target for a tut. It's easy to break the social fabric without realizing. 
and being aware of attack can avoid having escalated problems from that point. There's loads of like social rules that just no one will ever tell you, and that's in every country, but like, and especially so in a, in a country that like politeness is so not making people feel awkward. It isn't politeness. It's not making other people feel awkward or put out mm. in that approach. It means that you generally don't get corrections or told any of the rules. And so you just mm-hmm. find it out as you like lumber into something. Yeah. It's fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah. It really helps with that feeling of I'm really integrated <laughs> really here. Integrated. Everyone's tatting at me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> at least you know, you can just sort of manage. It's like having like, um, do you know, on the back of a car that have the sensors didn't, so that beeps every time you go near a vehicle. Then mm-hmm. it's just, that's what the tuts are. When you hear it, you're like, oh, oh, okay. I just went a bit too far to that. <laughs> side right i'll just like navigate back again <laughs> okay the next one is a linguistic element and it's the use of tags at the end of sentences like hasn't he isn't it didn't they and of course all those are shortened as well and he in it didn't they? and we kind of plug those on the end and it's just kind of like a meaningless conversational tick a lot of the time did you hear a lot of those down south in it was was really big. In it, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But that's also it's a class thing yeah. as well. Like if I was in Guildford or I sort of spent my youth in it wasn't a sincere local affectation. Yeah. But it was w- what you would say if you wanted to sound like you were more from the streets, totally. a bit more tough, bit more bit more dangerous, and you'd say in like it bruv. Yeah, bruv sort of the, the South London dialect definitely clips into the Surrey Hills and it's it's insincere. Um mm. it's just machismo trying to show itself up. I've heard it with do you know when you're having a conversation and someone's like it's sort of like a conversational reinforcer, like where you go, Well, you'd be having a conversation about the expense or something, you go, Well you, it's usually really cheap, isn't it? So I just thought I would buy it and it wouldn't be a problem. You know, and it's not really a question. It's sort of just like, mm. a, it's like, I always see it as something that you try to draw in the attention of the listener and like, so they feel included mm. in the discussion in a, in a kind of a quite indirect way. It's quite a useful strategy. But what I find Germans will often do is actually is a question. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so they'll tag the end of the question with a, a question tag that we just wouldn't expect an answer to. Like, isn't it especially is one that I remember my flatmate at university would do, but isn't it? And they'd be like, whoa, like I've not heard it asked, like, asked a question. Like, isn't well, he's it? Portuguese, he was a lovely bloke. And he'd be like, uh, this is, uh, these are these are the, the biscuits, isn't it? And I'd be like, is that a question or is he commenting on it? And he would want, and he wanted to know, oh, they, these are my biscuits, isn't it? And I'd be like, I think, so okay thank you for telling me nick and then he off get off he go and like eat his biscuits and um i just loved how he said biscuits it was really it's really just meant this is a charming and i did correct him just so you know but he did, he refused to accept the correction he was like no <laughs> i like saying this instead there is a you i'm gonna say it. yeah exactly you're just trying to get them but anyway so in that sense it was quite a quite full-on when non-native speakers use it i don't i, don't, I would love to find out how many times we We've done it in the podcast. I don't think we would have done it that many times. I think the one that I use the most is or. Mm, yeah, order. Uh, I've taken on the order. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I use that more than, I don't use in it mm. anymore, I don't think. But that, that's that's a good question for the listeners. Do we say in it without realising? I know, you'd only do it, like, say in it when it was like sort of funny or it would like make sense. To, like you wouldn't, I don't think you'd use it with, use it with any earnestness. Mm. I like, but you don't say also, I'll say order. I think you, you and I both say order. Like quite a lot, <laughs> um, too much for uh, own good, probably. But uh, when your actual conversation in native English, you wouldn't say, like, isn't it? Or, or? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, you've, you've done it a couple of times where we've had conversations, but not enough for me to have to like pull you up on it and go, what are you up to? <laughs> the one that I have been pulled up for is ending a sentence with but. So I will, I'll yeah. make a statement and I go, but. And then I'll stop talking. And for me, it's implied that the opposite of everything I've just said is also potentially true. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not going to repeat myself. So I just say, but, and then shrug my shoulders. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there was a time where my wife was just like, but what? But like, <laughs> like, you can't finish it with but. I think that's the fall in pronunciation you can use as like open-ended sort of phrase. You don't mm. even finish that sense. Or is it like the rise, fall or something? Like, but yeah, you're right. It's something you don't really do that much in German. You would f- have a full sentence. 
or you'd be asking a question if you're saying Arba because Arba could be used as a question tag as well can't it Mm. Um, yeah maybe it's just people don't like implying things they're like hardcore details yeah it's the German stereotype of that's so true they want all the details give me all the details (laughs) I will make an assessment next one I've got is one that I definitely want to bring part of it to Germany so the common is you drive on the left but you keep right on escalators is that true yeah it is isn't it yeah you overtake on an escalator on the left hand side yeah yeah and that is the same rule here but people don't adhere to Mm -hmm. it Obviously, every city is different, but in Nuremberg, a lot of the Urban escalators, which is probably the most common place to encounter one, do have inscriptions saying, stay to the right. But you've got a lot of people that will stand on the left. Will they get pushed past? I'm a big fan of a hearty and surely. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) At least you're being polite, because most people just push them out of the way. Or they'd Mm. start saying hello in some way. Hello. uh, I mean, I wouldn't do it to a child or or a woman, but I wouldn't push them. But if it's a young scallywag, and if they start lighting a cigarette on the escalator on the way out of the U-Bahn station, they definitely get a little push. Yeah, they're not having any of that. This is how exciting my life was. I was on an escalator today, and and there was a woman and two kids, and she was just stood across the whole thing with oblivious to the world. So I just had to wait until she got off before I could actually go where I wanted to be. Yeah, again, yeah, it's just funny. I wonder what that is. But you see it with people walking. Try walking on the left. Go to a shop that has multiple doors on the front or maybe a Bahnhof or something like that. Train station, of course. And people will filter out towards the, the natural car lanes. That's what it feels mm-hmm. like. So you sort of, people are going, going out left and in right. And that's generally how it works. So I like to, and I do this quite consciously, often not even on the pavement, swap over and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And it totally messes with people like, because I think they naturally orientate themselves by the way the roads are. I think it's true mm-hmm. for sort of escalators. I think the escalator thing's confusing because naturally you shouldn't, but people do. can be quite funny. And you could do the same thing in Germany because it happens in Germany, but just the reverse. Mm. And my, when my family come, they're always walking, in a, they always seem to walk into German people and never understood why until I realised <laughs> they tend to walk on in the wrong lane, as it were. Yeah, but there is also a tendency, especially here in, in Bayern, for people to not share the pavement very well or kindly. Like people like couples who aren't like holding hands or anything won't go single file quite often and you end up being pushed into the road sometimes by people just being inconsiderate it's one of my massive pet peeves especially of young people here Mm. it's either like 18 and thereabouts or it's like 60 and thereabouts so everyone in the middle is kind of like communally spirited yeah but a lot of young dickheads and old people are just like, fuck you, I'm walking yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't mind saying it should yeah, have been that, that opportunity. Using my size a little bit. My wife has uh, like a, a teapot elbow she busts out. Oh, yeah. Uh, people have to walk into it if they if they want uh, to, to not get out of the way. I imagine doing it all the time, but I don't have oh, no, I think <laughs> the, you, the bravery. You just to, need to reinforce to your wife when she does it, that's all. Because that's mm-hmm. a pretty brave brave approach i bet she gets some some definite reaction but i think about the day i was pushing the the kinderwagen with my very very Mm. young daughter at the time i think she was actually asleep and it's just these two women and their kinderwagens chatting totally blocking the path if they moved single file i could have got past and i got really close to them they just didn't acknowledge us at all Mm. and then i went round them and i went off the pavement around and then put them back on the pavement and then she was oh I took me lied. I can't see saying or saying or something like that. And I was just like, mm. like what the fuck? Like you couldn't fucking see mm. us, you know? Really? Like is that the the approach? And it's it's just a little bit like oblivious to the world around them. Mm. Not great. Yeah, you, you do experience that definitely. That uh, a lot of Germans can just be quite insular in the yeah yeah thing that's happening at that particular moment. Mm-hmm. Okay, move on. The next one. This one's a hard one. This one's this one's a stiff one. Uh-oh. This one can make people swell. This is the enormous number of double entendres uh, in place names. So double entendre, of course, French-sounding word, definitely a French word, and in German it's doppeldeutigkeit. Um, so a phrase or word that has a secondary meaning. Good knowledge. Um, that is often a little bit rude. Oh, yeah, that's mostly how... 
people communicate. It's not just place names, it's just like everything people says. I had a friend at university who just entirely communicated through double entendres. It was like living with a carry on mm-hmm. movie. It was ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. And but like just everything. It was like, um I'm just putting two cubes in the in the cup. Ah, oh, cubes in the cup. <laughs> like what? <laughs> yeah, what does that even mean? And you're like, what? It doesn't matter. Um, this is such an insane thing. And that can eventually be a little bit grating, but often you get the place names like Cockermouth or something like that. That's a common one. Well, as 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 you've mentioned it, I used to live on Walking Bottom. That <laughs> uh, was my street name, which is always quite enjoyable. But the UK is, there are full of lists uh, of rude and funny place names. So here's just a few. Um, Nick, have you ever been to Bitchfield? <laughs> no, I haven't been to Bitchfield. I would like no. to go. That's uh, Lincolnshire, if you do, if you want to go. Uh, what about Cox? I'm, I'm trying to think where Cox might be. Is it in, like, Scotland? Uh, Cox is a tiny village uh, in the parish of <laughs> Paranzabolo on the north coast of Mid-Cornwall. Well, I don't want to go to a tiny village called Cox. Yeah, go on, what's the next one? Uh, the next one I've got here is Lower Swell. Oh, that's ripe for some <laughs> jokes. That's Gloucestershire. Uh, apparently, a swell, uh, a sveller, uh, is an old English word for a mound. Uh, it had to be a hill, like, for it sure. It is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dorset next. Scratch arse wear. <laughs> They're making it up. It's near Purbeck in, uh, in Dorset. It's sloping limestone hills in scratch arse. Very nice. Um, nether wallop. <laughs> <laughs> nether wallop. <laughs> Which means to hit someone in the genitals is another wallop. That's Hampshire. Uh, And it used to be called Wallop Inferior in the Doomsday (laughs) Book, which is also pretty good. Nice. Shitterton is one that always gets on these lists. Shitterton is is a bit of a tourist attraction. The Old English Cytera means sewer or stream. Uh, So Shitterton was literally a place for shit to go. Interesting. Next one is close to where my mum lives. I will probably go here uh, when I go to the UK uh, this month. Wetwang. Ooh, nice. Uh, Wetwang is is a lovely village in the East Ridings of Yorkshire. Um, Wetwang means, uh, yeah, wet penis. Um, and in the Doomsday Book, it was Wetuanga, uh, which sounds positively exotic. Yeah, I do like uh, Wetuanga. I'd enjoy that. Mm-hmm. I wish we should have kept that as the name. I think the, the final one is the filthiest and it's got the, the strongest double entendre. Um, there is a place called Fingering Ho. Ooh. Ooh, it's a bit, it's a bit nailed on that one. That's Essex, if you want to go to Fingering it's Too, too much. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, couple before we, we wrap up. Burger vans. Oh, in what sense do you mean burger vans? When was the last time you saw a burger van in Germany? Uh, oh, I suppose it's like Haxen, isn't it? Haxen van. Yeah. Gegrillte yeah. Hähnchen und Haxen. That's basically all I ate all weekend was I had, not to go back to the topic we had before, but I just ate bacon sandwiches and, and like a burger in the evening every day. It was glorious. Oh, f- yeah, fuck you, man. Okay, moving on. <laughs> but also the other thing was uh, the bar yesterday there was a like a taco van next to it and they did the food Ooh. so the taco van was like either privately owned and they had an agreement with the bar or was owned by the bar but i thought that was quite an interesting way of doing it i mean i think a lot of burger vans that i've experienced in the uk that are like in car parks outside nightclubs yeah 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 from definitely. like 1 a.m until 4 definitely and i've definitely had food poisoning from them oh yeah i think we all have um, students yeah laybys mm-hmm. on like dual carriageways dodgy looking eggs yeah, it's like Bob's Burgers, <laughs> and it is literally like a very small 10-square-meter yeah. anhanger <laughs> with a stove in it. Yeah, that's not great. Next one, houses are small. Yeah, yeah, definitely the case. I think your average square meter apartment in Britain is something like 88 square meters versus the, I think it's 100 in, in Germany. So often you feel like the houses are much smaller, and uh, it does feel like a lot of the... A lot of the new builds are quite small as well. And terraced houses are quite can often be multi-floored, which is nice. But if you've got a two-story sort of small house, quite boxy house, um, mm. back's usually bigger than the front, I find. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, definitely the average house size is smaller. Well, yeah, the uh, 10 years ago, the BBC put an article out, shoebox homes become the UK norm. And uh, they declared in the opening paragraph that Britain's new build homes are the smallest in Western Europe and many too small for family life. 
And of course, this is the really challenging thing. Like, if you want to have uh, a sort of nuclear, two parents, two kids home, it, it can be challenging mm -hmm. uh, to get something that's just big enough. Yeah. There's an example here of the largest double bedroom is 3.4 meters by 2.5 meters. Whoa. That's not a double bedroom. That's, that's, that's a, a covered one. It's a small space. And if you think most people these days have fitted wardrobes and then double bed, mm -hmm. like that's literally all you're getting in that mm -hmm. room. And yeah, it's it's definitely, it feels different here in Germany. Obviously, you do have small apartments mm -hmm. are available if you want to be a little bit of sparsam, if you want to save some money. Um, but yeah, generally speaking, the homes in the UK are, are pretty small. But even the smallest place that I lived in, the first flat we ever got in Germany was like an Arctic flat. And we couldn't stand up in the shower because the shower, the bath was right next to where the roof was angled. So you had to lie down. It was really uncomfortable. But even that was quite spacious in comparison to a lot of the apartments and flats my friend started with after university. Yeah, I mean, obviously, because of your size, you kind of didn't have access to all parts of your apartment there. Um, exactly. But I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a small place. Uh, I wouldn't oh, say no, that was the second apartment, the one the one we had in Fert. That was much bigger, definitely. No, I'm thinking of the one in Altdorf. Oh yeah, you went to the one in Altdorf, didn't you? I'd forgotten that. I did. Yeah, or es yeah, yeah. Or drunken escapades. Yeah. Yeah, I helped you move out of it as well. Oh Jesus, you bloody hell! Oh, I've totally forgotten about that. I felt I felt like yeah. I should thank you again. <laughs> thank you for helping me move. Yeah, wild. Yeah, yeah, that's totally wild. Okay, one final one to finish up, and this ties into something that's been going on in Germany at the moment, rail fares. Right. Um, of course, we are now, we're in the, the past is behind us. The nine euro ticket is no more for now. Um, there are lots of conversations going on about what's going to replace it and, and how cheap uh, a Bundesweit, like a nationwide ticket is, or whether it's just regional. Yeah. Um, but I wanted to put some perspective into this because in the UK, train prices are extortionate. It is hugely expensive. Uh, and so I just did a quick search now to how much do you reckon it is to go from Guildford, mm -hmm. my hometown, to Newcastle? Uh, if I wanted a train in six minutes. Do you know how many kilometres that is? Uh, yeah, it is... Um, Ooh, not kilometers, it's 323.9 miles, right. uh, which means it is 521 kilometers. Okay. I would have said it's probably like four, five hundred pounds. That'll return. Uh, I'm looking at a, a single, uh, a standard single. I think it could be like hundreds and hundreds of pounds, I think. Well, the, the train leaving uh, in six minutes uh, is 203 pounds and 82 pence. Holy shit. It's so wrong. To do 500, and that takes four hours and 40 minutes. Bloody hell. With three changes. Three changes? Um, Three changes, Guildford to Newcastle. And yeah, I mean, to be fair, it's not a convenient drive either. It's five hours and 47 minutes by car uh, with the current traffic that we have live now. Um, but yeah, 203 is the super off-peak single. Uh, so that's actually a reduced price ticket. First class would be 347. <laughs> yeah, of course it would. And uh, yeah, to uh, add a return, uh, we're not going to be saving money there. So it is hugely expensive it's super expensive obviously i mean if you try to book a train to berlin now it would be expensive but it's not that it's just expensive when you're booking early there's very few deals the train lines aren't owned all by the same company so there's differences in connections there's private trains that run in certain parts of the country that don't work operate in others like there's all those little things as well those little stupid problems and ultimately the pricing of the tickets always seems to be angled towards the ticket company and not the consumer mm. i know it's not cheap to run a rail line but a lot of the rail line companies go bust and have to hand back their responsibility um or you have as you have with the situation here are unable to come to terms with their employees and so are unable to prevent their employees going on strike which is kind of ridiculous if you're thinking of government-backed uh, negotiators and things like that. So if I want to get a train uh, from Nuremberg to Berlin, uh, which is, yeah, four hours, uh, three hours if I get good connections, 
I can do it now for uh, 59 euros. Really? Wow. Um, and if I leave at 10 o'clock tonight, yeah. there's a ticket for 17 euros. Wow. Is it is it over, so is it overnight wagon or is it in like a seat? Oh, I've lost that one now. I'm not entirely sure. Oh, um, no, no, that's fair enough. But still, like, that's pretty wild as pricing goes. I didn't expect it to be that cheap. Yeah, so there's one here at uh, four minutes past eight, gets into Berlin at midnight, and that's seventeen euros and ninety cents. Shut up! Is that Regan Alba? That's an ICE as IC- well. IC- no ICE. Really? That's ICE five hundred. Holy shit! No, no, no changes. It's a direct. Should we go to Berlin? Direct. Should we go to Berlin? Come on, <laughs> I'll go back and we'll just go to Berlin late at night. Yeah, for twenty euros, I'm in. Yeah, that's nuts. I will just find a nice hostel. <laughs> I, I think we can get a hotel. <laughs> we'll just camp. We're, we're both nearly forty. We'll just camp in the park. <laughs> um, yeah, that's wild. Yeah, well, fuck it. Yeah, British yeah. trains are shit. Jesus. Yeah, I was trying to defend them and be and, and not be a snarky. Isn't Germany better kind of guy? But it's hard not to. They've kind of forced me into the mm. cupboard. Jeez, oh, that's so shit. <laughs> it's so shit. It really is. Servus zusammen. Hallöchen. That brings us to the end of the show. We're off to Berlin for 20 euros. Eat that, suckers. <laughs> if you're enjoying the podcast, why not give us a rating on iTunes? It only takes a minute and it can really, really help us out. Also, we would love some stars on Spotify. We've got some. We want more. So chuck some our way if you feel so inclined. Retweet us, share a link, or post with the hashtag Decades From Home or lowercase on Twitter or Instagram. You can also support the podcast by going to ko-fi.com forward slash Decades From Home and contributing to send us to Berlin. Yeah, damn right. I want to go to Berlin. Well, it's only going to cost us 20 euros. You just, come on. Come on, you can do that, listener. <laughs> Get us to Berlin. Four euros. Why don't you like us? <laughs> As ever, if you have any questions, feedback, or maybe an article or topic you'd like us to cover, you can tweet Simon on at Decades From Home, and you can tweet me at 40% German. You can also get us on 40% German at gmail.com. If you have time, take a look at 40% German.com. Weekly articles are up every Saturday. All that's left to say is thanks and bis zum nächsten Mal. Ciao.